Hey guys, and welcome back to another solo podcast this week. I am on my own again. I would like to get George back on. It's just our schedules aren't falling in line at the moment. Uh, for example, tomorrow, which is usually when we record on a Thursday, I am down at King's Gym in Croydon. Um, they've got uh, A-list, basically. They've got an event, uh, Primeval Labs tour, where they've got Regan Grimes coming across from the States um, and a few of the other Primeval Labs athletes as well, sort of touring around with them. So I'm going down for that. I haven't seen the boys at A-list in a while, not at least, not in person at least. Obviously, we communicate on a frequent basis. Um, and it's a, a cool relationship that we have, but nevertheless, it's uh, awesome to see them in person and we'll get to train together and hopefully um, meet some people. So potentially, if, if anyone's either training at King's or coming to the event to see Regan, or I don't expect anyone to come to the event to see me. <laughs> because uh, that's not, not what it's publicised for either. Um, but uh, if anyone's there, obviously come and say hi. Um, or uh, you might bump into us whilst we're training. I think tomorrow it's usually a rest day for me. Um, I, I, I may well rest if there's other people resting and not training, but if everyone's training, I'll just hop in and do some light arms or something like that. We can always get a little bit more arms in. It's not a problem, you know. So other than that, a sort of a brief update on my week. So I have had a pretty decent week so far. I've started a new block of training for me. So a few changes in this block, just sort of prioritizing one day on my lower body training for more hamstring and glute dominant, um, featuring a sumo deadlift, so that's new. And then later into the week, a more quad dominant day, obviously including the back squat and a hack squat. And already liking the setup of that. And it means that my pull day, uh, with me deadlifting on a lower body day, it means that my pull day could be pretty much focused around actually just doing back movements, right? So prioritizing a back movement on that day. Someone did actually ask one of the questions that I got was, how do I think the sumo deadlift plays a role in back development? Um, and is it a back builder? It's really, it's really not. Um, if you control an eccentric on a sumo deadlift, you will get delayed onset muscle soreness in your upper back, you would definitely feel some degree of soreness in your upper back. So situating it before a push day would probably be better than situating it before a pull day because your upper back would probably still be tired. But do I see it as a back builder? No, I see it as an adductor builder, a glute builder, a little bit of quad and obviously glutes. So that's really why I'm doing a sumo deadlift because some of those areas in my physique need filling, uh, the gaps need filling. So really excited to do that and also in my training I am looking at sort of rotating between my compound moves so on my on my flat barbell pressing and my barbell OHP will be on one of my push days and then uh, more dumbbell focused or machine focused moves on another day primarily because I'm starting to see a little bit of a stall in my bench press and my OHP and I think that the frequency is actually not doing them any favors. So the movements aren't moving forwards because I'm actually training them at too high of a frequency. So when I get back to the movement, I'm already a little bit potentially, like I'm neurologically adapted to the movement now, so I'm very efficient at doing it. So trying to eke out progress is just gonna be requiring more patient and potentially some more accessory movements to actually see that movement start to come up. So that's another thing in my training. One day, of my, my push and pull workouts is, is more gonna be focused around uh, one top set and one back off, so two sets only. And then another day is gonna be focused more around accumulating volume. So we're looking at doing sort of more working sets, so maybe three or four working sets, 
and some of those obviously being submaximal. On the two sets day, those two sets are pretty much taken to failure on, on, on every single set. Um, and that's the way that I'm looking at doing things. So that's a brief update there. Obviously, I'm pushing food up. Food's at pretty much where it was before I even started my mini cut. But I'm about 10 pounds lighter than my peak off-season weight so far. And one of the things that I did actually want to speak about is the fact that I, I do really think that to accrue new muscle mass and like to really look different on stage, we have to surpass previous off-season, not only off-season gym lifts and things that you're doing in the gym, you don't only have to do that, but we have to surpass previous off-season body weights. So my previous off-season body weight was 183, 184 pounds in my 2016 off-season. I want to blow that out of the water, but look really, really good at a new body weight. So I see myself in this phase in this push-up before I next do a mini diet, I see 190. I see 190. And I, I'm, I'm saying that now on the podcast because I want to stay accountable to that. I, I, I'm, I'm in the point now where I'm, I've got out of the, the post-mini-cut blues, which are real, and just like contest prep, right? Because I was doing a mini-cut around the end of the year with all the contest season. I felt like I was a bit of a part of it because I was a bit hungrier and dieting, doing more cardio, etc. And then obviously I finished it. And I just, I just thought, well, actually, I preferred how I looked in the mini cut. You know, I preferred, I preferred the the vascularity. I preferred the look of my physique when I was taking pictures. I really liked it because your physique always looks better in a mild deficit um, or even an aggressive deficit when you lose some of the water weight that you're holding through gaining. It always looks a bit better, and I could have quite comfortably stayed there. You know, I could have quite comfortably eaten that caloric intake for a while. You know, I was fairly comfortable on like two six, two five. That's not a lot of food. That's not going to grow. That's not going to get me to grow, is it? No way. So, pushing up my calories now is the goal. I want to get to one ninety. I want to make one ninety look good. And if one ninety looks good, hey, why don't we go? Why don't we go higher than that? Um, why don't we surpass one ninety? So we'll see. We'll see. We'll take it nice and slow and steady. Um, I'm in the mid one seventies at the moment with the best body composition I've seen in the mid one seventies. So I'm like one seventy five, one seventy six in the morning at the moment. So we're in a good spot. We're in a good spot. So I'm excited to see the progression that I can take or reap uh, upon this push up. I think a lot of my pressing will go up significantly once I get close to the one eighties. Um, everything should feel good. So the goal is now push up food, stay injury free, make tons of progressions in the gym, do stuff I've never done before. Um, I'm eyeing up some squat numbers and some sumo deadlift numbers that will be pretty exciting. So yeah, besides that, the only other thing that happened was the other night when my fitness power went down, all the servers went down and yeah, everyone went into sort of pandemonium. And luckily for me, I, I understood what my last meal was because I have the same pretty much every single day. Um, however, I'd been at Danny's like for half of the day, so my food was a little bit different. So I had to sort of kind of work it out in my head. Um, but I can imagine for some people that are following quite a flexible approach and potentially prepping, like you'd have not known where your macros were at the last meal, and that would have been an absolute nightmare. So yes, other than that, let's get into the questions. So we've got about 22 questions. Um, again, I'm going to try and keep this around about half an hour because most people listen to a half an hour one if they see an hour podcast. The chances are, I don't know, I think some people might commit because they like listening to me, strangely enough, but some people might not. They just might see an hour and just ditch it. So let's keep it to half an hour. 
So Dan Pickering, best ways to manage fatigue. Um, so fatigue management is really quite, quite a simple process. Um, in the gym, we've got to look at doing things that are not going to surpass our, our ability to recover. So if we look at it from the perspective of maximum recoverable volume, that's something that's a, a changing variable, okay? So maximum recoverable volume is, is never static. It's influenced by your other recovery modalities. So when we look at other recovery modalities, we look at how can we manage stress? We look at how can we manage sleep? We look at um, how much cardio we're doing. We look at other things that provide systemic stress and recovery capacity. Um, we're looking at where our food intake is at. We're looking at nutrient timing, okay? So in terms of managing fatigue, you have got to get yourself in the best position possible to manage all your recovery modalities as best as possible. And that includes your immune system. Um, sorry, that includes your nervous system. So if we're looking at maximizing or maximizing recovery and minimizing fatigue, we're looking at spending outside of the training window, spending as much time in the parasympathetic nervous system as possible. So when we train, we elevate the sympathetic system. It's going to raise cortisol. It's going to raise stress hormones, which is perfect. We want that response in training. We want to create stress. But outside of training, we want to minimize that. We want to rest up. We want to digest food well. And we want to get in a position to attack our next session. Um, from a supplement point of view, we can look at things like magnesium glycinate post-workout. We can look at things like ashwagandha. We can look at staying adequately hydrated. We can look at a, a pre-bed routine that's going to be optimal. We're looking at wearing blue light blockers pre-bed, setting a bedtime, setting a wait time, um, even doing some light cardio work for the cardiovascular system to keep that ticking over again, sort of will help recovery capacity. So hopefully that answers your question, Dan. Think about how you're managing your ability to recover, and that will obviously influence your ability to manage fatigue as a, as a sort of a byproduct. Peter, so thoughts on processed meat, deli meat, smoked salmon as main source of protein. Is there any negatives of this? I would say the only negative is if you're having this inconsistently, you're going to have quite fluctuating sodium levels. Okay, so processed meat is obviously going to contain a significantly higher sodium content, especially things like smoked salmon. So what you've got to be aware of is when we're looking at electrolyte balance, we've got to balance, balance this throughout the day. So if we're having an incredibly high sodium intake, we've got to see water, water intake rise, not to get dehydrated. And also, we've got to, when, we're, uh, when we take into account muscular contraction, we're looking at a well-hydrated muscle cell. If we are dehydrated, we're not going to be able to contract as well. We're not going to be able to perform as well in the gym. Okay, so what I think that if you're going to have a lot of processed meats, you've got to meet the demands in terms of electrolytes. So you've got to raise your water intake. That's going to be pretty significantly high considering the fact that you're going to be having a lot more deli meat. Okay, hopefully that answers your question. Other than that, no real negatives that I'm aware of. It's convenient. That's probably a positive, okay? But no other negative side effects of having you know, necessarily more processed meat. Apart from the fact that the quality could be lower. Um, that's one of the things that's rolling through my head. Uh, and by the way, guys, I don't read these questions before uh, I do the podcast. I'm literally just going, reeling off as quick as I can. So if I had more time and I went through them all and made notes, obviously the, the answers may be a little bit better, but I, I could feel like I can reel off fairly well. So that's what I think there. Maybe the quality is a bit, bit diminished manage your, your your water intake you should be all good 
Best gym you trained at? That's a really good question, Hamza. I probably will always say Das Gym in Vienna. And I think the atmosphere there, the equipment, and what the, the values are on their direction moving forwards in terms of consistent improvement with the gym, how they manage social, social media, the events that they do, I think it's just fantastic. So Das Gym in Vienna, if you're ever in Vienna, go to that gym, you'll love it. Um, obviously next week, they're probably, there may well be a podcast if I get the time. I think there probably should be, should be a podcast. Um, I might might even try and get a guest on uh, next week because I'll be in a bit of a different location. And so next week I will be flying out to LA on Thursday. So I'll be training at some pretty cool gyms over that very short period that I'm going to be there. Unfortunately, I'm not going with Danny, which is a, a big shame because I would have loved to have to have come, but I'm just going out to support the UK FBA team. So the reality is we wouldn't have really been able to sort of spend much time together there anyway. Um, it would have been more, it's more focused around me getting some filming done for the UK FBA filming um, and creating some memories for the WMBF team that are going out. So yeah, that's that's what we're looking at there. Um, so I'll, I'll do some cool footage in terms of training at potentially like Golds and Powerhouse or something like that. I'll get a good few sessions in. The best supplement in my opinion from Hamza, again, this is something that's, uh, there's no real best supplement. However, I would say from a bodybuilding perspective, if, you, if you're really looking at the best supplement, I would say like a creatine monohydrate is something that everyone should probably have. That's off the top of my head what I would recommend in terms of the best sup. Dale, same, ex same exercise selection versus picking specific lifts to progress and adding in accessory work. So I'm a little bit confused by this question, to be honest. Um, so if we're looking at the same exercise selection versus picking specific lifts to progress and adding in accessory work. I think they're kind of the same thing. Like if you're picking specific lifts, you're gonna be staying with them for a while. So that comes down to the same exercise selection. To answer the question on a more broader perspective, the same exercise selection will have a multitude of benefits. You'll become neurologically very, very, very well in tune with that movement. So that has one benefit because you'll be able to perform it well consistently. The, the side effect is the acute stimulus or the, the acute novel stimulus that you're getting from an exercise will be diminished as you continue to do it. So that's why variation is sometimes nice because you're creating a novel stimulus. Once you've progressed an exercise to the point at which you can no longer progress it, you need to look at creating another novel stimulus. So then we look at increasing, doing different accessories, doing different compounds, etc. So I think you should be sticking for something for as long as you can progress it. Um, obviously, progression is not going to come weekly, but sticking for as long as you possibly can within reason is a good idea. And then obviously you can add in accessory movements if you feel like, you know, for example, if you really want to chase down a deadlift, you know, you could add in a rack pull, you could add in banded deadlifts to really increase your deadlift. But from a bodybuilding perspective, I'm going to look at doing exercises that fit us from a biomechanical point of view, um, and also exercises that just like they just feel good. Um, if you're doing an exercise because someone else is doing it and it feels crap, no good. All right, just be wary of that when we're picking exercises. But Daryl, I, ho I hope that answers your question uh, on a wider, broader perspective, because I was a little bit confused by it. But if you want to message me on Instagram and, and clear that one up, go for it. Thoughts on lower protein intakes. How much grams per pounds do you personally like? So, I, I, 
there's, there's two real camps here. So there's the camp that sort of, you know, go low protein and will really prioritize carbohydrates. I can see the rationale behind that in terms of when we're having a significant amount of carbohydrates, carbohydrates are going to be very protein sparing, okay? We're also looking at how much leucine do we actually need per meal to spike muscle protein synthesis. And the reality is you don't need a significant amount. Then you also have the camp that say, you know, high protein, high thermic effect of feeding. Um, it's, it's, it's a macro that, you know, you could potentially get away with more of and not see sort of the, the fat gain that you potentially see from carbohydrates or fat because of the way that it's utilized and the thermic effect of feeding. But I would say that personally, I'm, so I'm around 175 pounds, like I've said, I will see my protein fall around about 250. That just tends to be the amount that I can get five to six feedings with 25 plus grams of protein from a high, from a high quality source or highly bioavailable, high, high bioavailable protein. Okay. Um, that's what I would say is, uh, make sure that you're having enough so that you can split your protein throughout the day nice and evenly. And we're looking at maybe four meals, four or five meals, and maybe two or three protein-based snacks, you know, not by, by snacks, I mean, you know, I like a shake or something like that, just to tick you over. Okay, so in terms of maximizing recovery, maximizing the muscle protein synthesis response, I would say that that's the way that I would set up protein intake in most people. So obviously females can get away with a lower protein dose to, to get leucine threshold. Um, the bigger you are, the, the, the potentially the more, the, the higher the protein you will need per meal to get the adequate response based on your body weight with leucine. So that's what I would say there, mate. Um, look at your body weight. Take into account how many grams of a protein you're going to need per meal and then work at splitting that throughout the day. Thoughts on recomp phases um, and maintenance phases. So recomposition phases are definitely needed. Uh, at some point, you're going to need a recomp uh, in an off-season or whatever phase you're in. You're, you're going to probably see a recomp being needed at some point. They're very beneficial. They should be short and sweet. For most people, it depends as to where they're at in their off-season. But for most people, it should be short, short and sweet, recomp phase, get it done, get in, get out. And then in terms of maintenance phases, these can usually sort of be situated either pre-recomp, depending on where you're at, pre-prep, uh, or post-recomp. Um, or even at a peak body weight in the off-season when you want to harden it up. So you can use maintenance phases a lot. And they are equally as beneficial. So when, you, when you're pushing up and you feel like you don't need a recomp phase, but you don't need to see body weight raise, or body weight come up more. So if I have a client, right, and we're pushing our body weight and we see a point at which, you know, condition is fading a little bit, but not enough to warrant a recomposition phase, we will hold, we will maintain for that period of time. And then what we'll see is we'll see you harden up that body weight. So I actually held 182, 183 for, for a good couple of months. The 182, 183 definitely looked better as I held that body weight, um, you know, for, for mul multiple reasons. Whenever you reach a new body weight, it's always going to look a bit worse than when you've been sat there for a little bit. But don't sit for too long. A lot of people make the mistake of just maintaining in their off-season. I personally now think that a better approach is to periodize your off-season. So you will push up to a max weight um, and then you may well stay there for a little bit 
and then you will recomp because staying there for too long or pushing up anymore is only going to be possible if you recomp first. Spend some time at a lighter body weight and then work up again. It's like rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. You're just giving yourself more ammunition for your off-season. So that's what I would say there, um, JMO. Um, hopefully that answers your question uh, in, in, a, in a fairly brief format. I could make a whole half an hour podcast on how to do maintenance and recomp phases. Connor asks, Piad versus Morris 2020. Absolutely, Connor. If, if Jack competes in 2020, um, bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> bring it on. Um, more than willing to, to step on stage with Jack. However, I must admit, Jack said in, uh, in 2017 when he was prepping as well that he was really excited to step on stage with me. And I was always a bit hesitant because, you know, we're really close and I don't, I don't think I'd feel that good like beating him. Um, you know, that it's, not, it's, not, it's almost like a bit bittersweet because I know how much he'd want to win. And if I beat him, I'd almost feel like I've taken that feeling away from him. But if he wants to pick the same show as me, then... <laughs> like, like go for it. I can't, I can't, I can't help that. So, and obviously, whoever's the best on the day will win. I, I'm, I'm sure we'll make plenty of progress in the off season. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's uh, up to the judges. Uh, it's, it's Brian. Uh, hey Brian, when you get flat during a cut phase, how far do you let performance drop? That's a weird question. You, you don't really want to let performance drop like that much ever, to be honest. But if we see performance drop and you are flat, then what we need to look at is, is have we got the time to regain performance? Is the performance drop, drop worthy of taking a diet break or doing a refeed? Or are we just lacking in time and we still need to push fat loss? If fat loss is the ultimate goal, unfortunately, mate, if performance is dropping, suck it up. It's got to, it's like, for example, on stage, Yes, you're judged on muscularity, which is relevant to, relevant to performance in the gym. But ultimately, if you've not got the fat off, it doesn't matter what you're lifting in the gym. You need to get the fat off. So if the goal, if the goal remains as fat loss and performance is dropping, you've got to continue. Um, but you should always just set yourself up with enough time. This is why you know now I'm taking on clients for 2019 contest prep because I need enough time. Some of them are doing pre-prep uh, pre diets now because they need to be leaner so that we can start leaner and maintain more performance. That is literally what we're looking to do in that phase. So yeah, hopefully that answers your question there. Um, if you've got enough time, ideally you don't want to see performance drop for too long. Um, you'll want to feed up or diet break. So yeah. When on a diet break, how much higher do you bring up calories? So, so personally, you ideally want to spend time at a perceived maintenance throughout a diet break. Uh, you may even be in a slight surplus if you fail to really identify where true maintenance is because it's going to be hard. You're not going to be able to identify true maintenance straight off the back. So I would say see calories rise up to a perceived maintenance. Monitor scale weight, monitor your look. Obviously, you'll have some increased intramuscular fullness and then go from there in terms of the changes that you make in the latter stages of the, di of the diet break be it a one-week diet break, two-week diet break, whatever happens, you can make manipulations as you go. But that's what I would say there, you know, bring them up to a perceived maintenance, which again is hard to predict, and then see where you need to lie in terms of just sort of 
seeing your body weight trickle up a little bit in terms of intramuscular fullness, so maybe two pounds of intramuscular fullness, and then hold that throughout the rest of the week with the diet break. Brian again asks, can you go over your goals again for 2020? My goals for 2020 are to win a lightweight qualifier with the UKDFBA, win the UKDFBA British finals as a lightweight, go get an invite to WMBF Worlds as a lightweight competitor or depends what they do with the weight splits. I may even be a bantam at Worlds, but it's most likely going to be lightweight and then go into lightweight amateur Worlds. And if the class is big enough uh, to be a super pro qualifier, I will get my pro card. Um, if the class isn't big enough to be a super pro qualifier, then I guess I'll have to go in the overall and then it depends where I place in the overall as to whether I get my pro card. I hope that makes sense. Obviously, the, the loftier goal is to actually just do it all at the British and win my class and win the overall, but I'd have to be in a situation where the middleweight and the heavyweight were off, which is very unlikely, um, or structurally the judges preferred the look that I had over the middle and the heavy. Um, but again, this is all like pie-in-the-sky stuff, guys. I say it because I really want to do it and... It is my ultimate goal. It's why I'm taking the two years off. And if I don't feel like I'm ready to go for that in 2020, I, I won't compete in 2020. Um, but right now, I feel like the way things are going, the way that I'll be set up before 2020, I will be in a position to, to, to really, really chase down that goal. But again, it just depends who turns up. You know, there, there, could, be, there could be a little Brian Whitaker out there that will challenge me. But I'd like to think that Whoever turns up, I can challenge them. That's the goal, you know. Whoever turns up, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how genetically blessed they are. When I give them a good, 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 good old run for their money, um, that that's that's definitely the goal, regardless of what happens. Best sources to become a better coach. So just consistently learn, you know. Go and meet people. Um, go and see people. Ask people questions. Listen to podcasts like this. Um, but yeah, just like I, I was asking a lot of questions when I was a, an up and coming coach, and I still do. I still ask questions to a lot of other coaches. Um, I still look for information, whether it's reading books, don't really do much of that, but podcasts, uh, big for me. I'll listen to at least one, if not two podcasts per day. And you know, I don't think a lot of people do that. You know, In my spare time when I'm programming and I'm not doing check-ins, I'm listening to podcasts. When I'm doing check-ins, I'm learning. You know, Coaching people is a great way to become a better coach because you'll learn more about people um, and that's essentially what we want to be doing as coaches is learning more about people and the people that we coach so yeah those are my sources mate um, do the majority of my clients compete I would say no um, a lot of them are in either off seasons or going into a prep so a lot of them are competitors but not all of them are competing um, however I do have a lot of clients that will never compete and that's fine you know they're still fantastic clients for me. And I still work with a lot of individuals that are just looking to lose a bit of fat um, or just looking to gain a bit of muscle. And that's fine. You know, there's still the, the prerequisite for working with, with me is that you're going to follow everything as well, well as you can do. Your adherence is there and you want to work hard and you're a nice person. And that's it, you know, and, and then you can work with me. So that's that. Uh, Zach, am I planning to train with George soon? I presume you mean Osborne. Absolutely. Uh, we'd love to get that in the books very, very soon. I've answered the sumo deadlift question for Rob, and I've also answered his question on will I make this podcast longer. The answer is probably not. Um, for my time constraints, half an hour is perfect. 
I could make them up to an hour, but I just don't think that they'll get as much good response. We'll see. Maybe I'll do one once that's an hour long, and we'll see. But I've got 24 questions here, and I put this up, put this question poll up only two hours ago. So I could easily get enough questions for an hour podcast, or I could go into more depth on the questions that I do get. But I just don't think the value would be would be as good, or people wouldn't tune in as much. Two a day training. So demo, I don't like two a day training personally because I feel like once I've done one session, especially if it's compound based in the morning, I am quite fried from a a mental point of view. Okay, so my mindset going into these sessions is like I'm maximizing every single set. I'm really giving it all my all. Even if it's a set that's, you know, not necessarily to failure, it's still a hard set. And when I come away from those sessions, I'm, I'm tired, man. I'm fried. Like, mentally, I'm not locked in anymore. And for me to go back for even an isolation body part, like biceps and abs, I don't think I'd give them my all. I've tried it. Um, and also, your question with regards to nutrition, it's very difficult to set up because you've got to really think about making and prioritizing your post, your pre- and post-workout nutrition on both ends, So you've got to have a really good pre-workout meal. You've got to have a really good low-fat post-workout meal. Again, when you come to your next session, you've got to have a really good pre-workout meal. You've got to have a really good post-workout meal, low-fat. It makes your day pretty hard to set up in terms of a a nutrient timing approach. You know, like timing your nutrients, very difficult. Very difficult in that moment. So I look up to people that do it, though, on a consistent basis. Like Steve Hall trains two a day uh, consistently. I look up to him, man. That's difficult. Like, with the amount of work that we do as online coaches and fitting in twice-a-day training, like, kudos. That's difficult because I don't, I don't think that I could do that consistently and get good results because, put it this way, I wouldn't enjoy it. I really wouldn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it when I tried it. Um, I tried it post-show. Worst time to try it, by the way. Do not do that. You're not in a prime position to do two-a-day training post-show. Um, but, yeah, that's that's my standpoint on that personally don't like it if you're going to set up nutrition for it you need to make sure that you're really fueling up between session a and session b or session one session two um you're going to have to pre be pretty low fat to be always in a state of of restoring glycogen um and then yeah the rest of that you'd probably situate your fat in one of your meals as far away from training as possible um but yeah hopefully that makes sense how aggressive should your reverse cardio be so it depends what you've been doing. Um, I would taper it down as, as consistently as you can to the point where you're keeping some in. I actually like to keep cardio fairly high and just work up food. It tends to be psychologically a lot better for people to keep expenditure in and work up food intake because that cures a lot of the satiety um, issues whilst still keeping the energy balance in check. And psychologically, you're looking at more food as opposed to just looking at less cardio. Unless you've really been hating cardio. So this is where preference comes in uh, a little bit. But personally, if I had a preference, I would keep cardio fairly fairly high. Keep, t- take away a few sessions uh, that are interrupting training. So maybe I'd just keep it on every day besides leg day. And then I would then look to take the leg day cardio away first. And then take some more away from other spots. And... And then, yeah, mostly prioritize food intake in the reverse period um, before we look to drop huge amounts of cardio. Emilios, what's your opinion on fitness tracking watches? So I have a Fitbit Blaze. I do like it. However, you'll probably get away fine with tracking your steps on your phone. 
Um, if anything, you know, it's just the Fitbit's going to track the ones that you do around the house kind of thing. So you probably end up on a lot more on the Fitbit in terms of steps. You'll probably do more doing this. Um, whereas with your phone, you know, it, it only tracks them when it's in your pocket. So I think the phone's, you know, just as good as the Fitbit, to be honest. If you've got an Apple, it counts your steps for you, you know, puts it onto my fitness pal for you, etc. So, um, yeah, that's my stance on that, Emilius. But Fitbit Blaze is good. Uh, Danny's got an Apple Watch. It's quite nice. It looks nice, um, but it tracks steps just the same way. However, we found that the Apple Watch definitely tracks less steps than the Fitbit Blaze. So I don't know if anyone else has found that, but uh, whenever we go on the similar walk, when we're in like city breaks or whatever, um, Danny always gets less steps, usually than me. Um, and I don't think we step any different. Don't know, maybe we do. Uh, what a final question. So advice on starting online coaching, how to recruit and maintain clients. So I'm going to give like one tip in this. And then what I would say is what go and watch the podcast with me and George. Um, so search George Osborne, AJ Morris online coaching. You'll find it. You'll be able to watch that. Um, I may even try and link it below if I remember. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that's a great podcast to listen to on online coaching. But one tip in terms of recruiting and maintain clients is think about who you're trying to attract and put a lot of content out online that's with relevance to that individual. Okay, so think about who you're trying to attract. Think about putting out a lot of online content with a large preference towards that individual. How can we help educate that individual? How can we give value to that individual? So I'm thinking about how can I give value to people who want to do a contest prep? Give value, give value, give free shit, give free shit. This is what I'm doing here. I'm giving loads of free shit. And if people think, wow, like, sounds like a guy, looks like a guy that I'd get along with, they might send me an email, they might inquire for coaching, boom, get them into Team MBM, we start them, we're getting going, they get to see my face every week. Fantastic news, right? So that's what I would say. Direct your content to who you want to please or who you want to attract. That should bring what you want to you, okay? Um, other than that, Thanks very much for listening, guys. Like I said, if you're at King's tomorrow, come say hi. I'm there 11 until 2, I think, or 11 until 3. So, yeah, I'll be there roaming about. Um, but, yeah, thanks again for listening. Hope you're all good, guys. I look forward to the questions that come in next week. And chat to you later. See you in a bit. Thanks, guys.